This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Welcome back to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. And now part two of our interview with Roman Gabriel. Was there any ever any thought in the uh, NFL to move you to a different position because you were Filipino and they, they thought it was a white person's position? Well, actually, uh, during practices, because I was generally the third quarterback, I would play middle linebacker on uh, when the defense gave the offensive pitcher. And then early on, when Harlan Savari took over, I was a backup receiver and tight end. And later on, Harlan actually made a comment, said that he felt like I should be a tight end. I think I would, I wouldn't mind. But then when George came, that's when I got my opportunity to be the starter. Don't the quarterback get the quarterbacks get all the girls? Well, also the quarterbacks pay out the most money to all the girls. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you divorce them. <laughs> I have no regrets. That's good. Did you encounter much discrimination on or off the uh, the playing field? Because you're the first Asian American. You know, that's that's the beautiful part about the NFL. The NFL, everybody looks at you as to what you can do with your athletic skills. They don't look at your color or what you are. They look at what kind of football player you are. And then later on when you retire, they look at you and see if you're still a football player or you're really a good guy person. And I prefer to be a good guy person and a former football player. Yeah. Makes sense. When you were at the Eagles, did you ever overthrow Harold Carmichael? Because I would think that would be next to impossible. You see, that's something that these uh, uh, modern-day color people don't tell you, that when you're a, t- a tall quarterback, it's a lot easier to throw to guys that are tall. And I think that's another reason why I probably had one of my best years throwing, over above the fact I threw more passes that year than I ever did in one season. Because when you're tall and you have tall guys, I have Carmichael at 6'8", Charlie Young at 6'5", and Don Zimmerman at 6'4". You don't have to throw through alleys. You throw over people. And that's one thing these people forget to tell you is that when you're tall and have tall receivers, even when you're short, it makes it easier for you to throw the football. I don't know. I couldn't tell you if I ever had any balls knocked out. During those years to play with the Eagles. What was your favorite moment in football? My favorite moment? Yes. Oh, I guess it would be a couple. Of course, in 69, when the league, the players nominate you and you become the so called MVP. And then when I got traded to Philadelphia, when the Rams basically thought that I was done, I was. Actually, runner-up to O.J. Simpson, if he don't gain 2,000 yards, I got the MVP again, so I finished the runner-up to him. Uh, comeback player of the year, which I never could figure out. Because I, went, I never went anywhere. I just went to another <laughs> team. <laughs> but actually, the, the really one that makes, in 1973, a former tight end for the Eagles' daughter had uh, leukemia. So, uh, Mr. Toast, who, by the way, Leonard Toast is one of the, was one of the greatest owners and guys that I ever met. He decided that 
we as the Philadelphia Eagles were going to raise money to build a wing on Chartrand Children's Hospital, just specifically to try to find a cure for for leukemia. Mm-hmm. And uh, we needed to raise $800,000 to start it. And because of Leonard Toast and uh, I think it was Dave Hill, or I know his last name was a former tight end, that's how Fly, Eagles Fly for Kimmy got started. We raised $800,000, and I was the first chairman of that movement, and we built the first Ronald McDonald House in the world in Philadelphia. And then from 74, from that time on, I don't know if it's still going on or not, Dave, uh, the green shakes that McDonald's used to make. Yeah, the shamrock shakes. Yeah, that money went to the Eagles Fly for Leukemia because of the green color. I never knew that. And in 73, if your child had leukemia, I think it was like a 9% chance that they would ever survive. Right. Uh, now, from what I understand, it's somewhere close to 90%. And my accountant in Los Angeles... His daughter got leukemia at age 15, and he knew that I was involved with the Eagles Fly for Leukemia, so I called the Children's Hospital in Philadelphia and explained to them. They said, well, there's a, a leukemia wing in Santa Monica, so I called them, and they saw his daughter, and they gave her, I'm going to say, like 20 more years of life. She was 15. I think she finally passed away around 35. So that was that would be maybe the most meaningful thing that I was involved in. Is, was that your introduction into doing charitable work? Because you've since then you've you've done numerous events that have helped raise money for a variety of causes. That's correct. In fact, from that experience in '74, because I was living in Philly, it was so doggone cold there to, to try to condition. So I got me a condominium in uh, Rancho Mirage, California, and I'd go back in the offices. I, I started uh, Eagles Fly for Leukemia Charity Golf Tournament there, which was a three-day event. We had Chargers, Rams, Raiders, and 49ers. Raised a lot of money for Eagles Fly for Leukemia. Do you still do your golf outing every year? You know, we did in my hometown for 30 years. And uh, I only do, I do one in Greensboro now, North Carolina, for uh, diabetes. And uh, one that's coming up in Aiken, South Carolina, for the Chamber of Commerce. And then I do one just for all my friends that I've gotten to know over the years, which is not, and we try to reward uh, the veterans that live in this, this area. When you joined the Eagles, Number 18 became number 5, and eventually became number 18 again. Well, see, see happened what happened there? is that when I got the Eagles, uh, Ben Hawkins, their great wide receiver, mm-hmm. he had 18, and I would learned a long time ago, you don't want to piss off your wide receivers. <laughs> so I decided to take five because my first name has five letters, and and my birthday was August 5th. And actually, I should have probably kept five because I had my best individual year with five. And then the next year, Ben broke his leg, so he he had to retire, so I got 18. The Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> How did you end Definitely. up going into broadcasting? Oh, I got to know Freddie Dreyer pretty good, and uh, he had a guy that was producer at CBS, Oh, Bob Stinner, I don't know if you know the name or not. No, yeah. I'm... 
Well, he, uh, Freddie, uh, contacted Stenner for me and said, uh, why don't you, he'd like to broadcast NFL games. And so Stenner said, well, fine. So I met, I think it's Bob. And so he sent me and I did a, an audition on a New York Giants preseason game. And I worked with CBS, did some uh, college all-star games and some NFL games for about three or four years. How did, did, how did you miss going on Hunter with Fred Dreyer? He didn't ask me to. Couldn't <laughs> <laughs> you nudge him and say, listen, I'm an experienced actor. <laughs> I know, Freddie, he's amazing. When he came to us from the Giants, he slept in a Volkswagen bus. He showered at the stadium and showered in the ocean. <laughs> he was a real talent. No, he's from San Diego. He was a real San Diego hippie. Okay. And now all of a sudden he's got money, has a mansion, and I think he's producing too now. He's a great guy, though. You are the last football coach at Cal Poly Pomona. You were there from uh, 80 to 82. Yeah, and we were the only. We, my staff was the only staff to, to beat Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. That's that's what we're famous for. Okay. <laughs> was what was that experience like? You know, it was a pretty good experience. The only problem they didn't tell me that when I took the job, that the previous coaching staff who, who didn't win any games at all had got them under probation. <laughs> So when I took the job, and it wasn't my offer, because at that time I was an assistant coach at a junior college out in uh, Palm Desert. So I, I took the job, and it was pretty good experience. With the staff that was there before us, they like had thirty-five thousand dollars in scholarships, and they were broken down in thirds. We took half the team was on what like two hundred twenty-five dollars scholarships. And then we went to work, and with my contacts and a lot of the guys that were coaching for me, we raised a lot of money. So then, lo and behold, they decided to drop the program and take our money and distribute to all the other sports. Yeah. And I think they end up dropping basketball too, if I'm not mistaken. Well, was Jack Snow your favorite receiver? Uh, with the Rams, yes. Nobody came across the middle about Jack Snow. And he's the only guy I know that that could run a Jack ran like a four seven forty, but with his uniform on, and once he got out in front, nobody could ever catch him. And he didn't drop too many passes, did he? No, especially if they're over the middle. The ones he couldn't get was he had trouble running away from people. I never could understand that. If you sent him on an out route to the corner, he had trouble running those routes. We really we stayed up to practice all the time and worked those routes. But you send him across the middle, he was fearless. Now, you're the only quarterback from, you know, your era to still rank in the lowest interception percentage in the NFL history. What what made you so successful? Well, the great Ted Marchibrota taught me more about reading defenses than, than anybody that I ever played with before. I think Knowing where people were going to be, you know, not just your defensive backs, but knowing where linebackers were going to be, and also being maybe stronger than most quarterbacks, even though 
it was a positive, but sometimes maybe a negative. But I, I attribute that knowing defenses and being strong in the pocket and not running out of bounds and sliding gave me the opportunity to, to basically stay on my feet longer. Do you think you're ever going to get in the Hall of Fame? Well, I, like I told you, Hadle and Brody and Don Meredith, God bless you, so he was tough. Bastarini, Joe Cap, Kilmer, we're all in our own Hall of Fame. You're just lucky enough to have the opportunity to play because when I grew up, nobody would thought a little Filipino Irish kid could ever play in the NFL. But me. Who voted on the Hall may never have seen you. You know, it's like you have to go through a veterans committee and hope you have a friend or two on it and everybody's in a good mood and, and remembers the success that you had. And, and, and See, now that's we're done. You know, the, the thing that gets me, though, like baseball has a Hall of Fame Veterans Committee, and if a veteran chooses, if a Veterans Committee chooses you, you go in. But for some reason in the football, like one guy, that, like Jerry Kramer, he's never been in. But one year the Veterans Committee chose him. But yet these these guys who never put a jock strap on that are on the board, a lot of them young guys, never put him in. So sure. why should, if the veteran committee chooses you, shouldn't that be enough? Exactly. I don't know. Exactly, because Jerry Kramer and Dick Stanfield are the only two players that were finalists for the Hall of Fame twice by the Veterans Committee and aren't in, which is ridiculous. Like you uh, said, they should put him uh, in. I agree with you 100%. And then, why, and then they make a guy like Jack Butler wait 50 years to put him in. I know. And then some guys, when they're dead. Yeah. And, I, 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 I tell you, I'm going to shock them. You're going to come back? <laughs> if, if I die or when I die and, and, and uh, the Lord tells me, you know, you just got put in the Hall of Fame. I said, well, well let me go down and put, put old... Make sure they can't see me, and I'll just go down and speak, and nobody will know. Is that the Book of Romans or the Book of Roman? <laughs> the Book of Roman, right. <laughs> and the angel Gabriel will bring you down. Oh, that would be something, wouldn't it? <laughs> what was the best defense you ever went up against, other than in practice? The team that hurt us the most that we got beat up was the Bears. Doug Atkins, Ed Obradovich, that bunch, Bill George before we got him. I mean, you you might beat him, but you're going to get beat up. And the toughest guy wasn't even on their defense. The toughest guy was the running back, Rick Caceres. I know, and Joe Marconi. Exactly. Yeah. Those guys would, they told the story, Ditka, that, or Bradovich, that Caceres hit a guy outside a bar. They thought he killed him. And the Detroit Lions were pretty good, too. Roger Brown, Alex Karras, Brett Schneider, all those good. They were tough. Yeah, Joe Schmidt. But, yeah, Joe Schmidt. And then, you know, People tend to forget as good as the Packers were. They were pretty good on Willie Davis, Lionel Aldridge, and 
Selnick. Yeah. And the great Ray Nitschke. He was the two guys that I thought were the best going at that position at the time were your, your guy Butkus, and nobody was better than him. But Nitschke was right there with him. But when you look at total team defense, the Vikings and the Cowboys were pretty good. And a guy who was a little before your time from Philadelphia, Chuck Benaric, he wasn't too shabby either. Oh, the two way when I got to Philly, he came to practice. He was amazing. He, from what I understand, he still is, but he's got a little mental problem now. Yeah. He, when he came to practice, he didn't put on the pads, did he? He wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a god in Philadelphia. Yeah. Should be. I said you can't tell if he's got a screw loose from too many hits to the header. He was always like that because till this day he's still made of Frank Gifford. Oh, that's what I tell people when I would go out and speak. When I used to get a lot of chances to go out and speak, I said, "Now look, if I stutter a little bit and forget something, somebody raise their hand and remind me because I had like six or seven etcetera headaches when I played." That's what we used to call them because nobody said you had a concussion, you had to go back and play. If it was a three etcetera headache, they'd hold you out for a quarter. But as long as it was a one or two, you could go back and play. And, well, and they weren't give you, giving you etcetera at that time either. No, it was aspirin. <laughs> Did Deacon Jones ever give you the head slaps or no? I'm sorry? Did Deacon ever give you the head slaps in practice? Oh, yeah, the Deacon. That's the one thing we remember. We got Bob Brown from the Eagles, who was a great tackle. And most teams, you have what they call thud practice, which is a full blast, except you just don't quite give it the hundred percent. But throughout practices, Deacon and Bob would work on their individual techniques, and occasionally they Deacon would drive Bob back into me, and I'd get a little tap on the head. He said, "I'm here." I said, "I know it's you." <laughs> You never did any needle pointing at Rosie Greer? I never forget that my rookie year, I was walking past uh, Rosie's room and he said, Come here, Rook. So I walked in, he was playing a guitar and needle pointing. I said, My goodness, how can you do that? You, you can be a strong football player. He said, Well, I do this to relax. So just be quiet and sit down and listen and watch. I said, Yes, sir, Mr. Greer. <laughs> now, uh... He's the general giant. Another of your favorite receivers, I believe, was uh, a fellow out of Oklahoma, Tommy McDonald. Oh, yeah, we got Tommy from the Eagles, and I'll never forget when Tommy first came, I was running number three, and so I couldn't get anybody to stay out after practice to catch my passes, so I used to get a bag of balls and throw at the goalpost. And as long as you hit the goalpost, it would bounce back to you, but if you miss it, you had to go round up the balls. And uh, Tommy one day saw me out there and says, hey, kid, you got a good arm. Here, let's run some routes. And I give Tommy McDonald, I, I love that guy. He would stay out and catch passes. And lo and behold, in 65 when I played, uh, I forgot how many games I had. No, I played the last four games of the season. And it just happened to be against Cleveland, Baltimore, Green Bay, Oh, I'm trying to think of the other team in the American League was really good. But against Cleveland, Tommy called four four of my touchdown passes. So it paid off that that man, that veteran Hall of Fame guy now, 
That does it for another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. I'd like to thank our guest, former NFL quarterback Roman Gabriel, and our executive producer Dave Olson. Hope you enjoyed the show, and tune in next time for Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. <laughs>